Hello and welcome back to the second episode of the Blue Jays Way podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Prosick, and I'm with my fellow co-host, Curtis Martin. Curtis, how's it going today? It's going amazing. I mean, we finally got some Blue Jays baseball to talk about, so I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, and so today we're going to be talking about the Jays unveiling their new uh, development complex, standout performances so far from the first week of spring training, and sitting down with this week's guest, Dan Shulman, to talk about some baseball. So uh, to start us off here, Curtis, uh, who stood out to you so far in the first three games of spring training? I mean, you know, there's been a lot of good things. I think, you know, every Blue Jays fan would be happy to see, you know, uh, George Springer got his first hit and his first at-bat as a Blue Jay. I mean, it is in a spring training game, so, you know, there's not too much uh, weight we can put into that. And there's not too much weight we can put into these games. But I think the one standout guy for me is Rowdy Telez. I mean, it's been kind of hard to watch and listen to the games because you know they haven't been really broadcasted I did get a chance to watch um you know the first game against the uh, Yankees that they showed on Sportsnet shout out Sportsnet where both of our uh, guests have come from so far uh I feel like we're just a plug for Sportsnet now because of that like if we have a third guest on from Sportsnet we may as well just go to Sportsnet be like hey you know do you want to just take us on as your new podcast like (laughs) Anyways, sorry, getting off track, but I, I think, you know, the guy for me is Rowdy Telez. I mean, he came out with a career high year. He was super hot last year. He was great in spring training before he got shut down last year as well. And he started off, he crushed a double. He should have gone three RBIs, but, you know, it kind of bounced over the wall. So he got a ground rule double there. But, you know, in my opinion, no, he's just, he's, the balls popped off his bat really well, I think. Yeah. And, you know, we're only at the beginning of spring, so. He's only going to see more pitching and I only think he's going to get better. So, you know, three for four start, you know, he's really been hitting the ball. Well, got that double two RBI so far in the season. So yeah, he's my player of the week right now for the Jays. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's definitely a good sign to see Tellez continuing the success he had before he got injured last year. Um, it's a really good uh, thing for, um, for Vladdy as well, because that's someone to push him even farther um, because you're going to want to try to get Tellez's bat in the lineup every day if he's producing like that and this continues throughout the spring and into the regular season. Um, so for me, uh, it, like Curtis mentioned, it's hard to tell um, because only the first game of, the, of spring training got broadcasted like on air. So um, we're not really able to watch, but from what we've seen so far, uh, guys like Anthony Kay, Steven Matz and, um, and Jordan Romano have shown good things uh, in, in early spring. And tomorrow, I believe, and we're recording as of, what's today? Uh, Tuesday? Um, yeah. March 2nd. So uh, tomorrow, I believe Simeon Woods Richardson is starting the game and Alec Manoa is following him. So some it, a look into the Jays' future tomorrow. And uh, touching on uh, Stephen Matz, you know, two scoreless innings, that's, you know, all you can really ask for from a guy coming in spring training because everyone's trying to get innings. So two scoreless is, you know, the best you can, you can get from him and three strikeouts as well is a great sign. Anthony Kay, uh, I believe he also threw two scoreless. I'd have to go back and check, but um, you know, the Jays look good against the Yankees, which is something, something we want to see. And uh, Austin Martin also made his debut yesterday. Um, We still hoping to see a lot more from him in the spring and, Hopefully in the minors this year, he can uh, show us all the hype that uh, everyone's been been um, suggested from his college career. Um, and along with spring training in Florida, the Blue Jays revealed their new development complex. And I, I think 
this is going to be a really important thing for the Jays moving forward, not only to develop, obviously, their minor league talents, but to rehabilitate their major league players after injury and things like that. Uh, Curtis, what are your uh, initial thoughts about the new complex? I mean, I think all the Blue Jays fans all over the place were kind of uh, mesmerized, like when the photos and the kind of the video got released. I mean, they got a barber shop now. That's pretty cool. I, <laughs> I think, I think as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, I'd be in there every day getting like new fades. Or I mean, I wouldn't look good in a fade, but like, you know, maybe I'd give it a shot. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's just the Jays. The Dunedin facility has always been kind of low class in terms of you know mob facilities and now i think it's one of the best in the majors and i mean you can just tell from you know obviously no one can really go there right now because of covid but you can just tell from even like the ig stories that uh, the blue jays have been putting up on their story about you know the guys around the facility you know especially that covered section the practice field it's a really great advantage for the team and obviously you know there's a lot going on with that so i mean I think it's only going to be used more effectively once uh, COVID's over, but yeah, I think it's a great step for development and also for, you know, just the Blue Jays in general. Yeah, it's definitely um, the, the thing that stood out to me the most was when they were um, doing a uh, Instagram story, like question and answer thing with uh, Mark Shapiro. Um, they, they showed um, their hydro uh, hydrotherapy, I believe it's called the facility for that. And that looked so cool. You could just call it a pool. You don't have to be fancy. Yeah. They, yeah, yeah. They're showing so, the pool. Yeah. So they had their pool and it has like, uh, I forget what they're called, but like the pools that give the jet stream so you can. Like, oh, it's swim. like cold, cold and hot tubs. Yeah. Yeah. They had those. Um, and they had those like uh, those tubs that NFL players use where you go in and like sit in ice for a while. Anyway, there's just some cool stuff to uh, to look at there. And um, they have a outdoor um, like, uh, infield, but it's sheltered by, by a roof. And like, it's, it's going to be really good because, um, there's obviously lots of, uh, rain in Florida. And, uh, so that'll be good for, um, you know, always keeping their training, um, consistent and stuff, even like rain or shine and their gyms are all top-notch facilities. It's going to be a great thing to attract future free agents as well. Um, because spring training, although like, People say like, it's not like who cares, it's spring training. It's a really important thing that if, if a guy has a strong spring, it can lead to a really strong year. And if, if he gets consistent at bats is seeing the ball well in spring, that, that can really translate to, to the regular season and, um, and give them, you know, set them up for success. So it's, it's really great to see uh, the Jays reveal that this week. And uh, Speaking of their, their, their... Oh, wait, before you, before you segue, yeah. I just wanted to say that, you know, I think a lot of people uh, forget that, you know, this facility is used year-round by the yeah. organization. Like, it's not just yeah. used during spring or it's not just used by the minor league guys. Like, anytime you see a guy on the long-term injury list, they're usually in Dunedin. They're usually working with the staff there. They're usually yeah. uh, ready to get better. So, obviously, having this huge facility there is going to only improve, you know, that side of things in terms of the you know rehabilitation for injuries and that kind of thing and also for guys like Vlad who like to come to Florida earlier before spring training you know sometimes in this in uh, the winter to do some work this is only going to improve you know what they can do to become better players so it's kind of a no doubt thing and 
You know, I just think if you should be excited as a Blue Jays fan, you know, a lot of money is being put into this team right now. So it's a good sign. Yeah, no, you make a good point. It's it's definitely, um, yeah, I think we mentioned it a little earlier. Um, when a guy gets injured, having a facility like this, a top-notch facility in the league, is exactly what you need to get back out on the field at your at the highest level of uh, your game. So it'll be really good to see. And uh, so this week, um, obviously the Jays infield or outfield, sorry, is is pretty jam packed with uh, with talent, including uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., George Springer, Teoscar Hernandez, Randall Grichuk, and Jonathan Davis even is a possibility uh, as a name in there with a strong spring um, because of his speed and versatility off the bench uh, when they need, you know, runners and stuff. So um, Randall Grichuk was discussing the likelihood of him moving to right field, obviously, with George Springer coming in. Um, so, Curtis, what are your thoughts on Grichuk uh, being in right field and, you know, the Jays' um, busy outfield? I mean, it's interesting, right? Because a lot of people like we kind of talked about last week with Ben were like wondering what's going on, especially with, you know, all the rumors about a Michael Brantley signing with the team. That means yeah. uh, an odd man's out. And even now, like, you know, you got to wonder whether someone's going to be out the door. And, you know, we had that conversation with, um, with Ben, you know, he made some good points about, you know, how because he has a bigger contract, you know, Randall doesn't have as much value as the other two guys. And obviously the other two guys have played better. And in my opinion, I don't know if you want to trade those other two guys. So, I mean, I, I mean, you just got to find a way for Randall to get at bats. It's going to be tough, especially if all these guys stay hot. I mean, doesn't matter what Springer does. He's going to be on the lineup in some way. And, you know, so maybe Randall, depending on what the lineup looks like, becomes a DH guy with, you know, whoever whoever has the day off and whoever the Jays need to get off their feet. But, you know, for the most part, I see Randall Gritchick right now being the fourth outfielder. And I mean, I don't think it really matters where he plays per se, when you're the fourth outfielder, I think, you know, he's kind of a utility outfielder in the sense that he can play right and center. And then obviously if you can play those two positions, you can play the easier field, in my opinion, which is left field. So, I mean, I don't know. I want to get your thoughts, Tyler, but I just think that it's, uh, you know, it is what it is. I think he's not going to get as many as bats as he, we've seen in the past, but yeah. Um, yeah. So the, obviously, yeah, like you mentioned, Springer is going to get at bats almost constantly. Uh, Guriel Jr. Is their lock in left field. I don't think anyone takes that job from him. Um, it's really just Grichik and Teoscar Hernandez in right. And the thing is Hernandez's bat. Uh, you want to get that in the lineup, but Grichik is very streaky offensively. So, yes, he may be a, a, quite a great defender um, most of the time, and he has a pretty good arm, but that streaky offense isn't worth the, the defensive liability. Um, front. Like, I would rather put Hernandez in with the odd, um, you know, he doesn't throw a guy out where Grant Grichik would have, um, and, but he might hit twice more a game than Grichik because Grichik, Although Grichik can hit for power, he, like I mentioned, he is really streaky. So last year he went on a streak where he, he hit like a homer in six straight games or something crazy like that. But then he'll go hitless in 10 games. So it's, it's a guy that I, I think they need to think about moving um, quote, maybe later in the year for some, for some bullpen help or something like that. Um, you're probably going to have to package something with him, like a prospect, if you want to get any quality arm. 
um, just because of his contract um, up upwards of like 10 to $12 million. So it's, it's going to be, um, it's going to be a very interesting thing to follow this year. And the DH spot, like, although you could put him there, it's that spot's kind of full as well. Cause you want Telez's bat in the lineup. You want Vladdy's bat in the lineup. Um, we, we also talked about this with Ben. These are great problems to have. Um, even like, if you can't get one of these guys in the lineup, like that's fine. If, it, cause I, we have a strong lineup, so it is a great problem to have. And I think uh, that is going to, unless you have anything else to say, Curtis. I, I just wanted to add, you know, uh, to make sure that you are correct that, you know, it's not just this year that he's under $10 million. He has another two seasons at $10.3 million after this. So his contract yeah. ends in 2023. So he's a free agent in the 2023 off season. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, I, if he does get traded, I honestly see it being more like a Kendris Morales trade where, you know, he gets traded for future considerations, mm-hmm. which is basically meaning he gets traded for, you know, like a bag of balls or something like he gets traded for basically nothing. And, yeah. you know, I could see a team that's either, you know, has lost a lot of outfielders, especially in a year of, with COVID or, you know, people, stuff's happened to their outfield where you know you need a veteran guy and i see them trying to take advantage of that opportunity and dumping his 10.3 million dollar contract off on someone i mean will they have to take back some of that salary maybe we we'd have to see on what the market is on an outfield like that and it all depends like ben was saying last week on how he plays this season maybe his value goes up and you could actually get him for you know a early inning reliever or you yeah. know a, an eighth starter i don't know like i think in any move you're really just looking to get rid of his salary because and going forward this team's going to be really tight on salary with you know the commitments they've made to hunjin ryu and to uh, george springer so it'll definitely be interesting to see what they do moving forward and personally i thought the gritchick contract was a little bit much when they signed it to begin with so mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I don't know. Maybe you disagree with that statement, uh, Tyler, but. Um, before we move on to our, our interview with Dan Shulman, uh, I just want to ask, do you think, um, do you think Grichik is the odd man out if, if a trade is going to happen? Or do you think Hernandez has the ability of getting traded for a starter? I guess it depends on what you're getting back. I mean, yeah, I don't want to make this too long because we do have to get to Dan, but yeah, I, I think that, you know, if, I'm trying to think of a good name. Um, you know, I think if they get a good starting pitcher back, like, I mean, it's hard to give an example, but someone with control that can be like your third or second guy, I think you give up Tay Oscar. I think, you know, there's so many good young players coming up in the system. Like, you know, it's like, oh my God, I just had a brain fart right there. But I think Austin Martin could possibly play in the outfield too. Yeah. Like, so are we really going to hinder the future outfield for Teoscar Hernandez, who granted was a silver slugger winner last year? Yeah. But if you can get a starting pitcher, I think, you know, you do that. I think that, you know, bats, as funny as it's, as it may sound, are not the most important thing on this team anymore. When you have yeah. Bo, Vlad, Cavan, uh, Springer, I know Simeon's here on the one year deal, but who knows, maybe use that extra money to sign Semyon again next year on whoever you trade, something like that. So 
obviously I could see Teoscar getting moved, but if it's not for a high end pitcher, and obviously it's going to be more than Teoscar in that case, then I think they move Randall for, you know, a like D prospect maybe, but yeah. All right. Well, yeah, no, it's definitely something to watch this year, but I think that's going to do it for the first part of our, uh, of our podcast here. And we're going to get to our interview with Dan Shulman. Welcome back to the Blue Jay Way podcast. We are pleased to be joined by Sportsnet's Blue Jay play-by-play voice, Dan Shulman. Dan, how you doing? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? Good, good. Um, thank you for so, uh, coming on, Dan. Yeah, thank you for coming. Um, You're welcome. To start us off here, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. had a, an amazing offseason in terms of getting motivated for this year, losing weight. Um, this is just a question that Curtis and I have been talking about for a couple of days with some of our friends. Do you think that Vlad can hit 40 this year or beyond? Well, to be honest with you, when I think about Vladimir Guerrero, even if he is, if he turns into the hitter, we all hope he will based on what he did in the minors. I don't look at him as a 40 home run guy, to be honest with you. If you look at his minor league numbers, it was more about line drives, hard contact, taking some walks, not striking out. Um, If Vladdy reaches his ceiling, I think that's more likely to be 320 with 30 homers than, say, 260 with 40 homers. He hits rockets, but even in the minors, he was never a guy who hit the ball in the air that much compared to some other home run hitters. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't evaluate Vladdy on home runs. Um, I, I think if Vladdy's going to be great, he's going to hit for a high average. He's going to hit a lot of doubles. He'll probably hit some singles off the wall. Uh, and he'll hit some home runs. But for me, it's mostly just about, you know, hard contact, line drive. Some of them are going to go over the fence, but it's about the whole body of work, not just the home runs. And then obviously, you know, the big conversation with Vladdy is uh, whether he, where he's going to play in the future, because, you know, that's kind of up in the air with uh, the Blue Jays moving him to first base last year. Do you think there's any chance, you know, with us, I mean, kind of, taking second and Tellez having a good start to the spring after a great season last year, him playing some uh, third base at any regularity. I think he'll play some third. I don't know how much we'll, we'll see it in the spring. You know, if he goes over there five, six times and does fine, then I think they'll give him a chance in the regular season to play there a bit. If he goes over there in the spring and it doesn't go well, then I, I'm not sure they'll let him play over there, but there are a lot of advantages to him playing third if he can do it. Because then Rowdy Telez can play first. You can put, say, Oscar Hernandez at DH or get Springer off his feet, let him DH. It gives them a lot more flexibility. If Laddie's at first all the time, uh, or if Laddie and Rowdy Telez are the first space DH combo all the time, then the DH spot is kind of clogged up. And then they got four outfielders. And so I think they love flexibility, they love versatility. So the more Vladdy can play over there, the better. Um, you know, the other thing too is it helps Rowdy Telez. If if Vladdy's playing first all the time, you know, I, I think Rowdy Telez really figured it out last year and he's got a chance to do really well. But if Vladdy's at first all the time, you know, then if they're choosing between Rowdy Telez and Teoscar Hernandez at DH, Rowdy might lose that battle. So uh, they're going to move guys around. You know, Grichik figures into this, Biggio's versatility figures into this. And, and these things have a way of sorting themselves out. Unfortunately, guys get hurt, guys go in slumps. So, I, I think they'll give Laddie a chance over there and, and hopefully he can do okay. 
Um, and so obviously the Jays had a very busy offseason uh, in terms of bringing guys in from free agency and a couple trades here and there. Um, how do you feel about Kirby Yates as the team's potential closer? And is there anyone else that comes to mind that could take that role? Well, if he's healthy, I mean, he was a stud in 2019. So if he's healthy, I feel good about him. Uh, I'm not sure the Blue Jays are just going to anoint one person the closer. Maybe they will. and Maybe it'll be Yates. You know, the obvious next choice is Jordan Romano. I, I mean, he's got an electric arm. And before he got hurt last year, he was doing great. He's pitched once so far this, uh, this spring, and it was great. Uh, and, and I think we'll see a lot of him in high leverage situations. But, you know, there's less of an emphasis on who's the closer these days. Sometimes you're, you know, the biggest spot of the game comes in the seventh inning. A couple of men on, the starter comes out, the top of the order's up, and that's where you got to put out the fire. And I think the Blue Jays will use Yates, Romano, uh, Barucki, and Dolis. I think they'll use all of them in high leverage situations. They like Dolis more against lefties because of his splitter. They like Romano more against righties because of his slider. Uh, Barucki obviously is a lefty. He can be a bit of a matchup guy against left-handed hitters. So um, I think Yates will get a lot of closing opportunities, but I I'm not sure they're necessarily going to anoint one person as the closer. And then, you know, going off of the talk for the bullpen, uh, Charlie Montoya announced earlier in the spring that they kind of looked as Chatwood as, a, you know, a middle inning reliever. Where do you see him uh, fitting into this bullpen? I think he fits in in front of the four guys I just mentioned. You know, he's a guy who could come in in the sixth inning and maybe go the sixth and the seventh, get him six outs. Hopefully the same kind of a role maybe that Julian Merriweather can have if Merriweather's healthy. We saw some really good stuff from him last year. So, um, you know, I think Chatwood, if his stuff plays up out of the bullpen, which I've heard it has, and, and he's throwing hard, if he can throw strikes, which has been a problem for him in the past, I think they look at him as a four, five, six out guy, maybe in the fifth and sixth or sixth and seventh, that sort of thing. But again, the roles change. You know, Romano was in a different role at the end of last year than he was at the beginning. You know, guys have to earn it. And ultimately how they perform determines their role. Um, and how do you think um, the Jays level up with a team like the Yankees who um, brought in a couple, a couple pitchers to um, fill, fill some roles and um, generally they, they have some injury problems and um, they're still missing, I think, Severino uh, for, yeah. for most of the year. So how do you think the Jays match up with the Yankees this year? I think, I think still you have to give the Yankees a bit of an advantage. And like you said, there's some uncertainty there. Corey Kluber's coming back off injury. Jamison Tyone is coming back off injury, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they still have Garrett Cole. They still have a really good bullpen, and they still have a tremendous lineup. So right now, if I were you know, handicapping the division, I think I would pick the Yankees as the best team. And I, and I think the Blue Jays and Rays might be like neck and neck for second. You know, the Rays did go to the World Series last year. Now, we know they've lost Charlie Morton and Blake Snell. But they are the Rays, and they're really good at figuring stuff out, and they're really good at plugging their holes, and they're still a team to be taken seriously. But overall, I, going into the season, I would think the Yankees are the best team. Obviously, you know, we're kind of already started into uh, spring training. The Jays have played two games. They'll play their uh, third game this afternoon. But who are you most excited to watch during this spring training? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, um, I, I'd like to see how Marcus Simeon is doing. He can be a really important player for the Blue Jays. You know, two years ago, he finished third in MVP voting. So I, I don't know if they're going to get that guy, but if they get, um, you know, something reasonably close to that, an above average player, uh, I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to see him. Yates, who we talked about, is a guy that 
you know, we really want to see if he's healthy and if he's getting swings and misses. And then it's some of the young guys who might, who aren't, they're not going to be on the team this year, but guys like Alec Manoa and Simeon Woods Richardson and Austin Martin and Jordan Groshans, guys like that, the, the future, interested to see how they do in their first real spring training. Speaking of the future, uh, Austin Martin made his uh, spring debut yesterday. It, obviously, he's, he's still a ways from the majors, but where do you think the Jays are going to plan on, on putting him um, positionally as you know he can play all over the place? Yeah, my guess is this year, wherever he plays, um, that he'll play both the infield and the outfield. Um, and, and again, some of this depends on what's Bo Bichette's defense like this year? Where does Vladdy slot in? Because you've got to figure out Groshans and Martin. Uh, my guess, and it's just a guess, is Martin winds up either at second base or center field. He had some throwing issues at Vanderbilt from the left side of the infield. He had some throwing issues yesterday down in Florida. Um, but it's one day, you know, it's a very small sample size. So, you know, let's see what he does when the games get real, but he does have a bit of a, a history of throwing issues. Um, apparently he is athletic enough to play anywhere. So I, I would think second base or center field, um, you know, and if it takes him a couple of years to get to the majors, Springer's your center fielder, maybe in a couple of years, Springer moves over to right. Uh, maybe Martin's a second baseman and Biggio becomes a true super utility guy. If Groshans winds up at third, so again, the Blue Jays love their versatility. They love guys who can play multiple positions. And I think ultimately they'll try guys at a number of different spots and, and see who does well there. Like none of us could have predicted Lourdes Gurriel would turn into a left fielder, but that's that's the way it turned out. And then obviously, actually earlier in this uh, interview, you already brought him up, but uh, Marcus Simeon's one of the big additions the Jays made this year. And obviously, you know, this is going to be a pretty stacked lineup, especially compared to uh, last year with those additions. Where do you see him fitting in in the batting lineup for the Jays? Well, today, they just put out their lineup for today, and it's Springer 1, Simeon 2, Bichette 3. So maybe that's a clue. I don't know. It's just a spring training game. Biggio's hitting sixth today. So I think there's a good chance that it's Springer, Simeon, Bichette. 1, 2, 3, maybe Teoscar 4, and then you get into um, – Vladdy, Goriel, that sort of thing. I mean, these are good problems to have, you know, and, and again, not to say the same thing over and over again, but whatever it is opening day is not what it's going to be later on in the season. Goriel moved up and down last year. Guerrero moved up and down last year. Uh, Biggio and Bichette flip-flopped one, two in the middle of the season. Uh, the players make out the lineup as they say. So my guess would be maybe Springer, Simeon, Bichette, one, two, three to start the year. But, you know, if, if Vladdy comes out, you know, looking like Hank Aaron, he's going to move up in the order. Uh, maybe Simeon moves down. For sure, Springer's going to hit one, two, somewhere one, two, three, for sure. And I think for sure, Bo Bichette's going to hit second or third. I don't think he's going to lead off. So I think Springer and Bichette for sure are in the top three. And then whether it's Simeon or somebody else, they'll figure it out. Having these names that uh, in your lineup does nothing but put a smile on my face. Um <laughs> Do you believe that uh, Bo Bichette is among the league's elite shortstops like Tatis Jr. and Trevor Story? I think we need a full year before we can say that. I think he's an extraordinary talent, and he's done incredibly well offensively, incredibly well, and he's been decent defensively. Um, to, to be mentioned among Story or Tatis or Lindor or guys like that, I think we need a full season. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if people – 
think about it this way, but Bo's only played 75 games in the majors. He's played less than half a season because he's only been up for two years. Last year was a shortened season and he got injured both years. So, you know, let's see 150 games this year and 600 at bats and and see what he does. Um, I certainly think he's got a chance to be a a multi-time all-star. He's got a ton of ability and a ton of confidence and a great work ethic, but uh, I'd like to see him, you know, get through a healthy full season and, and then we can see where he's at. Obviously, you know, the Jays made the decision early on to decide that they're not going to try and uh, try and play in Toronto, at least to begin the season. And that gives a lot of questions of whether they'll even play in uh, Canada this year. Uh, Where do you see that going? And do you think there's any chance that the Jays could play in Canada this year? I hope so. And it it wasn't their decision. It's the government's decision that they that they can't play in Toronto. So they're going to start in Dunedin. We know that. And I think they'll be out of Dunedin by June because it just gets too hot and it rains every single day in Florida in the summer. So by June 1st, my guess is they're either in Buffalo or Toronto. Sadly, I think it's probably Buffalo. I'm not sure that uh, our country is going to be ready to open up by June 1st. That's only three months away. And, and, you know, vaccines aren't rolling out very quickly. So I'd love to see them go right from Dunedin to Toronto, but I, I'm not sure it's going to happen. So my guess is they go to Buffalo, say, by the 1st of June. And then if they can get to Toronto for August, that would be awesome. But but uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm preparing for Dunedin and then Buffalo and then hopefully Toronto, but really not sure. Um, how, how was the adjustment, like the quick adjustment to not being at the games to to call them? What was that like? It's it was a big adjustment. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know you're sitting in a studio, so there are no fans. There there's no noise. You, you know you want to make sure your energy and your adrenaline are what they normally are. And there are things you just can't see compared to being in a broadcast booth. You know if a guy's trying to steal a base, or if there are runners at first and second, and a ball gets hit into the gap, I look out at the field, and then I can see the runners and the relay. It's just not the same on monitors on television screens you're you're going to miss some things so I mean we all did it you know announcers across baseball did it and I've done it for college basketball for ESPN all winter it's just one of these things you have to do I'm happy to be working I'm happy there's sports um, and we're going to have to do it again this year so uh, but you know I'm I'm hoping by uh, opening day 2022 this is all in in the past and and I can be back sitting in a ballpark like I love it I, I was just about to ask, but you kind of already answered it, uh, what you guys were going to do for this season, because obviously last year you guys were sitting in the uh, Tim Sid studio for the broadcast. Is that going to be the uh, same this year or is it not decided yet? Well, some of it has been, some of it hasn't been, but uh, I'll let the people who like to make the announcements make the announcements. So, But I, I can tell you that the games that I call, uh, I will be calling from Toronto. Um I'm in the U.S. right now doing college basketball for ESPN, but I'm coming home soon and I got to quarantine and be out uh, for opening day. So right now, the plan for me is to call games from Toronto. That's uh, that's what I can tell you right now. After getting a short sample size last season and um, he made his debut, I think, yesterday for for the spring um, this year. um, Do you think Nate Pearson has the ability to become the Jays number one starter? Uh, eventually, yes. Whether it's this year, I don't know. You know, again, like, let's keep him healthy. The guy's barely pitched, you know, yep. but let's see, can he go out there and go five innings every time, throw strikes, put up numbers? Um, I don't know how many innings they're going to let him throw this year. I think he only threw 18 innings last year. They're not going to let him go 180 innings this year. So, yeah. um, you know, he's got to be 
uh, around the zone. Uh, you know, he can't be walking guys. And I think last year was a bit of a tough year for him. He gave up a few home runs. He got hit for the first time. Like nobody hit him in the minors. So I'm sure it was a bit of a wake up call. Uh, he's got a ton of ability when you're six, six, two fifty, and you throw a hundred, that's, that's a really good start. He's got a great slider too. Uh, I think whether it's the change up or the curveball, hopefully he can, you know, get some, you know, have be effective with those pitches to a certain extent. But for me, it's mostly about power for him. It's just pounding the strike zone, not trying to be too fine uh, and seeing if, if you can get swing and miss with your stuff. And I don't think we know that yet. I know he throws really hard. It's a very straight fastball. So, you know, major league hitters can, can catch up every now and again, even in 99, but he's got a ton of ability and, and I just hope he has a healthy season and we see what he turns into. Uh, for my final question, Dan, obviously, you know, not many pitchers is pitched over a hundred innings last year because of the shortened season. Do you think this means that a lot of uh, major league teams are going to be looking to do the piggyback system that we kind of saw the Jays do uh, in the playoffs this year? Yeah, I think they'll do a lot of things. You could see some piggybacking. You could see um, a six man rotation every now and again. You could see guys bouncing up and down between the minors and the majors a lot guys getting skipped. I think teams will be very creative. The days of a five-man rotation where everybody starts 32 games, I think those are gone. And I think the Blue Jays will be very careful. You know, a guy like Tanner Roark, maybe if, if he's effective enough to stay in the rotation, I don't think you got to worry about him. But Ryu likes a little bit of extra rest here and then. Pearson, we, uh, we talked about already. So, yeah, I do think you, you could see – you know, maybe they pair up Steven Matz with Ross Stripling or something like that. And a lefty and a righty. And those guys share a spot. Uh, I, I think there will be a lot of creativity and, and um, you know, it'll be strange for some people, but it's becoming more and more common. And, and I think we'll see a lot of it this year. I'll get to my uh, final question here as well. Um, where do you think Reese McGuire fits in the Jays plans? And do you think like Alejandro Kirk can steal his job and possibly even Jansen's starting job? I think there's a chance Kirk can make the team. Uh, I think Kirk and McGuire are battling for the job. And, and if Kirk, you know, Kirk's another guy who looks like he lost a lot of weight in the offseason, and that's important. If Kirk has a good spring, I think he can make the team. I believe teams are still carrying a taxi squad. Um, you know, so maybe McGuire fits in there. But I think McGuire's also out of options. So if they were to try to send him down, they might lose him. But they've got a lot of depth at that spot. Uh, I definitely think Kirk has a chance to make the team. In terms of taking Jansen's starting spot, you know, again, like we were talking about before, it depends on how they play. I mean, if Kirk makes the team and is swinging the bat great as a backup, he'll get more time if he proves he can catch reasonably well, too. So, you know, whether it's Jansen five days a week and Kirk two or Jansen four days and Kirk three or whether they pair guys up with certain pitchers, those things will work themselves out. But uh, they like Kirk and they think the bat is major league ready. Um, and even if he doesn't make the team again at the beginning of the season, we'll see him at some point. During the year. Sorry, Dan, I just want to ask one more quick question because you, we kind of got into the catch, catcher's talk a little bit. Um, obviously, you know, Danny Jansen hasn't uh, really performed well in the majors over the last couple of seasons offensively. Do you think that uh, he's better than what he's shown over the last couple of years offensively? Yes. Yeah, I do. Uh, like, I, I, I'm not saying he's an all-star, but, I, but I, I think he can hit better than he's hit. Um, and, and I think he had a really tough job. I mean, two years ago, he caught like 34 different pitchers or something like that. And catchers are being just bombarded with information these days. And most of their job is defensive. 
But I think, you know, he it's one game, but he did hit two home runs in the last game of the season against Tampa Bay in the playoffs. And um, he's hit in the minors. So, yeah, I, I think there's more there. And, and I think we'll see it this year. All right. Well, uh, that'll do it with our interview with Dan Shulman. Dan, thank you so much again for coming on. All right, guys. You got it. Take care. Yep. You too. Thank you, Dan. All right, guys. Have a good one. You too. See ya. And there you have it. That was our interview with Dan Shulman. Um, that was, you know, had always a great time talking to anyone from Sportsnet because that's the theme lately, as Curtis mentioned. Um, so now we're going to get into a little bit of uh, MLB news that's uh, been been happening. Um, there's been rumors that uh, the Mets are ready to start to, uh, to talk to Francisco Lindor, their superstar shortstop, about a new contract uh, coming up. And uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what he's asking for because clearly Cleveland wasn't willing to to pay up to his price um, and I'm sure they they talked about what that was um, we'll get before you know I say anything Chris let's get your thoughts on uh, how how much like the range you're thinking of how much he's going to make um, and keep in mind he's you know a four-time all-star and he's only 26 years old right now well I think you got to look at uh, Tatis as somewhat of a example because I think him and Tatis are probably one and two in the best shortstop of the MLB right now. So, I mean, he's making 38 million over 14 years. Obviously, you know, he's a lot younger. So that plays into a fact and they have control. And um, I might be, correct me if I'm wrong, but he'll be a free agent after this year. Um, yep. Lendor will be. So uh, if it's not the Mets, I see him getting like 30, 35 million dollars a year. I think I know um, me and Tyler were talking about this earlier. People were saying between 20 and 35. I think that's way too big of a gap. I think you know you're paying him 35 million dollars. The uh, number of years is going to be interesting. I think it all depends on you know kind of the economics coming out of this year and how much people want are wanting to pay because I think he's going to get like six years, 35 million dollars, maybe even less, maybe five years. But I think if you're Lindor, you're happy with six years at $35 million or 34, like around that range, at least in my opinion. I mean, when you're the number one person that a position like Lindor is, you should be getting, you know, top of the line money. So I think the Mets have to pay up. And I think, you know, $35 million is the number you got to look at. Yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting to see. Um, I think I'm, I'm con- I'm convinced he's looking for not only those big bucks, but I think he's looking for term as well. Um, that's why I'm, I'm guessing around, you know, $34 million a year um, with eight years. But I think they'll structure the contract where most of the money is being guaranteed in his younger years where he is now. Um, so he'll be getting paid a lot uh, in the end of his twenties and like right near the beginning of his thirties. And then that that'll start to, you know, get smaller as they go. Um, Cause he's only 27 right now. So he still has quite a few years of his prime left. Um, and shortstop's a very demanding position as you see like a guy like Troy Tulowitzki who just had to retire because of injury. Um, it's, it's a very physically demanding position. Um, so it's going to be really tough to play at this level up until if he signed an eight year deal till he's like 35. So It'll be very interesting to see what he gets. Um, I think you're right with the uh, Tatis comparison. It's going to be, it should be mo- like that kind of money um, for, for a guy like Lindor. And I think 
you know, the Mets knew that when they traded for him. Otherwise, obviously, they wouldn't have done it. Um, and I think that's why he never went to the Jays or the Jays didn't go, um, you know, all in on him, per se, um, just because they knew of the price he was going to ask. And that probably would even went higher um, because it was the Toronto Blue Jays and it's in Canada. And, you know, there's just there's just uh, like an aura around the Jays that just people don't want to play in Canada. And it's weird, but clearly George Springer does. So sucks for the Mets. Um, I mean, I think you bring up a good point in the sense of the Blue Jays, because a lot of people like when you look at the package, the Mets sent back to the Indians. I don't know. Maybe some people would disagree with me, but it wasn't that uh, stunning, in my opinion. Like the players that they got back, were, there's, there's some good players in there, but you're giving up Francisco Lindor. Yeah. So, you know, I, I wonder if there's a world where, you know, if we're a New York Yankees podcast and the Yankees are in the same position as the Blue Jays, you give up all those prospects that, you know, the, they definitely had a package together, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I think that package was better than what the Mets gave uh, the, the Indians. So when you think of it in that sense, it has to be the Blue Jays, you know, pulling back, saying, hey, we got a chance at Springer, in my opinion. So why don't we pull back, get Springer for less money than it'll cost us to re-sign Lindor, and then let's move forward and see what else we can do with, you know, the prospects that we do keep, whether, you know, that's trading for, a third baseman, which is still an option, or trading for another pitcher, which they definitely need. So uh, it's definitely going to be interesting. And I don't know. I just think that Lindor is going to be making massive money, whether that's with the Mets or with someone else. So it's just whether or not the Mets can afford him or not. So, yeah. And before we uh, end things off uh, here, uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the the Mets rotation right now, because right now it's, in my opinion, looking at like one of the strongest rotations in the league with uh, DeGrom, Walker, Stroman, Carrasco, and possibly Syndergaard if he comes back. But I don't know if he'll return this year. Um, so what are your thoughts on that rotation? Uh, where, where do you see the Mets uh, finishing possibly in their division? Well, I think before they added uh, Carrasco and Walker, they pitching was their strong suit last year. Like when you have Syndergaard, uh, DeGrom, Stroman, that, you know, it's a pretty scary lineup. Like I think Stroman showed in his last year with the Jays that he is a one or two pitcher on most teams, especially a bad team. Like, yeah. I think he is a top two pitcher because he can pitch that 200 innings you need out of him and he can pitch it uh, successfully. And obviously everyone knows that, uh, Met or city field, which is the home of the Mets is a hitter head hitter friendly ballpark. Sorry. And, you know, it doesn't, it just helps that Stroman's already a ground ball pitcher. So, you know, I mean, it's just, they're a good team. I mean, are they better than the uh, Dodgers and Padres? I think that's an easy no for me. I think, you know, even on pitching alone, I think the Dodgers are just, I think this is one of the best rotations in MLB history. When you look at the Dodgers. I know some people might disagree with me there, but you know, you got Bauer. You, I mean, you got possibly three Hall of Famers in your ro- your rotation right now, and Bauer, Price, and um, Clayton Kershaw. Kershaw. But I mean, like, so like, it does it even really matter who your four and five are at that point? That's and true. if we and if we want to look at their four and five, I think that they're better than Walker is. So, you know, I just think that sure they have great pitching. They have a good team. I don't think it's the 
as much as baseball fans don't want me to say this, unless you're the Braves, uh, Dodgers, or Padres, I don't think now is the time to be trying to win because, like, the Padres are looking to be good for a long time. Yeah. And I think you could say the same about the Braves, too. Like, those two teams are going to have sustained success. And, I mean, the Dodgers are the Dodgers. So, they're always yeah. going to be in the mix. So, I think it, this that whole conference is the Padres and Braves to own for the next four or five years, to be honest. Unless someone, yeah. like, rises from the ashes with some amazing young players and a good, strong pitching core, I think we're going to see a lot of the same two or three teams from the National League in the next four or five years. Kind of like what was happening in the early 2000s with the uh, Yankees and the Red Sox, you know, seemed like those two teams were always in the World Series. I think we're going to see the same thing in the NL. So it'll really be interesting to see what happens moving forward. But you know what? You, it doesn't matter if you have a good pitching staff. Does it, is it a pitching staff that can win you a World Series? And most... Most years, I think you would say yes, but with the moves of the Dodgers and the Padres made this offseason, I think it's a no for me. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I just think the the Mets rotation is definitely really strong, and I think it's one of the strongest in their division. Um, it's going to be really hard uh, to compete, um, obviously, like you mentioned, in the NL with the Padres, the Braves, and the Dodgers there. Um, I think – the way that the Mets are going to win a lot of games is the bottom of their rotation with, with Walker and uh, Carrasco. I think those guys can steal them games against other guys, uh, uh, late starters, just because, you know, Walker had an incredible year last year. And if he continues that success into this year, um, that Mets team is going to steal a bunch of games and be in a good position for the playoffs. Um, when, when that comes around, if the, if they reach there, which I, I think, I think it's safe to say that they'll they'll get there. But okay, l- um, let let me ask you this. Yeah. Do you think the Braves are worse than the Mets? I think the Mets pitching is significantly better. But um, that doesn't that's not answering my question though. No, is- no, I know. Um I think if in are we talking like a playoff series or in in like just in general? I think just in general, in general, the Braves are definitely better, but you, th- um, you think the Mets would win in a playoff series though in a playoff series? Yes. Because DeGrom would start at least two of the games in that series. And those would um, basically be wins, man. I, the, but the bats on a land on Atlanta, like Freeman, Acuna, Donaldson that, is in the bomb of your order. Like isn't Donaldson with the twins or is he with the twins now? I forget. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think he. Um, I think, anyways, continue. Degrom will win you two of those games if, if say it's a five because the beginning of the playoffs is five games and then later in the NLCS would be seven games. Um, in a seven game series, the Braves would take it, but in a five game series, it would be close. I think. I I, I suppose just say I think you have to get to seven games first. I don't think they can make it to seven games. Yeah. And then, okay, um, sorry, but like let's. Continuing on, so you, the Braves are better than the Mets. Yeah. Are the so. Nationals better than the Mets? No. No. Juan, I don't, Soto, I don't ahead, think they're I don't think they're far behind, but I agree with you. I don't think they're better. Yeah, no, they're definitely not far behind. Juan Soto is ridiculous. Um, and you know, they have Scherzer and um 
I'm blanking on his name, obviously, because that's just what I do. But um, their their pitching core is is good. But the Mets lineup, I think, is a lot stronger. Um, just with guys like Lindor, Conforto, uh, Polar Bear, Pete, um, they, they've got a really dangerous lineup that can hit a lot of home runs, which is uh, a very it's going to be a really interesting uh, thing to look out for. Um, so yeah, no, I think I think the Nationals are really good, but the Mets are have the edge there just because of their their depth at in their rotation and their ability to hit. Um, incredible amount of home runs through I, through I, the top of their order. I think the one thing though that we're forgetting is the Mets don't have that good of a bullpen. True, but so the, like the, if if you're going into like I I think we can see the Mets blow a lot of games late this year is what I'm saying. The, whereas the difference like, between whereas like other teams like the Nationals went on to go get Brad Hand as like your closer. So and that was their, like, we can all say that the Nationals had a terrible bullpen last year that it w- didn't have consistency. But as soon as you add Brad Hand into your bullpen, that instantly changes the, the outlook of your bullpen, in my opinion. Yeah, but the thing is, between the Jays and the Mets, the difference between them is the Mets aren't as stingy with how long their starters go. So DeGrom could get you a bunch of games. He could probably get you into the eighth inning most of the time, maybe even a complete game, even though that's not as common in the MLB anymore. I, but I don't think, sorry, but like, I don't think anyone's pitching past seven this year. I don't care who you are. I just think that they pitched so little last year that your arms are going to be built up to do that, especially in the first couple months. I don't care how much you pitch side sessions in spring training or whatever. I don't think any pitcher, unless you've been pitching ever since the season finished, like every day, like, you know, a normal workload. I don't think that those guys are going to be able to pitch, you know, more than six, seven innings without, you know, getting injured partway through the season. Yeah. I mean, the, the only thing, the only reason I say that for the Jays is, um, or between like comparing the Jays and uh, the Mets is the Jays are one of the most um, stingy teams when it comes to how long they let their starters go. Um, twice through the order, no matter what inning it is, really, generally you're done, um, no, no matter how good you're doing. In, in the NL, at least, if a pitcher's rolling, um, they're going to keep them in for, you know, at least seven, whereas the Jays usually keep their starters five or six innings. So it, it really, it's going to be an interesting thing to watch. I agree their bullpen is not that strong, um, but, but I think their starters will get them through a bunch like the majority of the year and whereas their offense is also really strong like I mentioned so they may be having you know like a five-run gap when guys like DeGrom and Stroman and Syndergaard if he comes back start so that's just that's where I'm coming from yeah I mean we'll have to see but I just don't think they're a complete enough team to really in the playoffs and I think the Braves are just a better team but that's just my opinion yep no uh, any, anything else you want to mention before we wrap things up? No, I think, uh, again, I uh, just want to shout out uh, Dan Shulman for joining us. But, yeah, no, unless you have anything else, I'm good to go, uh, Tyler. Yeah, no, I think we're good. Uh, so just let the people know where they can find you. Wow. Um, I mean, if you heard the last episode, it's going to be pretty much the exact same thing. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at cmartin3876. You can find me on Instagram at cmartin2292. 
Uh, obviously, you know, Tyler's going to say all the plugs for OTL, but make sure to check out the website, Overline Sports CA. Um, Matthew P just released, I can't say his last name, not even going to try. Sorry, Matthew. Um, fair. Matthew P just released an article looking at, you know, the top five guys that are non-roster invitees that you should look at the spring training. I highly recommend if you're going to watch some spring training games, you read that article. It doesn't matter at what point uh, over this, uh, you know, one month period of spring training, it'll still hold up. You know, it's really good or sorry, really well-written articles. So uh, just wanted to shout him out, but yeah, uh, as always, you know, check out OTO. We've got a lot of stuff going, not just baseball. So if you're into any other sports, uh, make sure to go check it out, but. Alrighty. And you can check me out at uh, Prosic Tyler on Twitter, P-R-O-C-Y-K and uh, Tyler R Prosic underscore on Instagram. Um, we got, you know, like Curtis mentioned, we got a lot of great stuff with OTL coming out in, uh, in March and be sure to check all that stuff out. Um, so I think that's going to do it for us this week. We want to thank, uh, again, Dan Shalman for joining us and remind all of you to like and subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And make sure to check us out on social media at OTL Sports CA on Twitter and Instagram. And check out our latest articles on uh, www.overlinesportsca. And we will uh, see you next time on Blue Day's Way. Well.